1: Welcome back, everyone, to another amazing episode of Market Impact Insights. What an exciting fall. It's the change of seasons. There's so much going on. Really thrilled with the launch of my new book, The Impact Makers. It's uh, out and available where you buy books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. And, of course, that's capturing some of the best of my conversations on this podcast, along with my experience as a marketing leader around What is the foundation of exceptional leadership built on a foundation of servant leadership mindset? And one of the aspects of exceptional leadership that we talk about in the book and on this podcast quite frequently is the power and the importance of building healthy, trusted relationships. And we can think about relationships at an individual level. We can think about it at an organizational level. We can think about it in terms of community relationships. And then today we're going to go even broader and think about this from a cultural and and really across countries and nations, and specifically the United States and China, two very visible, very powerful nations in our world, very complex in terms of all of the moving pieces in and around those relationships that impact business, that impact the true cultural fabric across those countries. And we're going to speak with someone who knows so much about China and has some really provocative perspective on how do we and should we approach uh, the relationship when we think about US and China. Geshe Michael Roach graduated from Princeton with honors. He's received the Presidential Scholar Medallion from the president of the United States. He was the first American to complete and receive the Geshe degree after, get this, 25 years of study, and I thought my, my undergraduate graduate degree was a lot of study. Well, Michael, you've taken it to another level there. And at the same time, he helped found an International Diamond Corporation, which grew from a small investment to more than $250 million in annual sales, was purchased in 2009 by Warren Buffett's companies, and The Profits from uh, Andon, this is something that uh, Michael's really passionate about, has been used almost entirely to create and support several charitable organizations. Uh, He is a best-selling author of The Diamond Cutter and also co-author with Dr. Eric Yu of China Love You, which is all about what we're going to talk about today, which is US-China relationship. So Michael, welcome to Market Impact Insights.
0: Yeah, and thank you for having me, Dan. It's, uh, It's very kind of you. Thank you. So,
1: Michael, I have to ask, kind of go back and looking at at your life, uh, looking at your biography, you've had such an interesting journey. And the thing that is this consistent thread throughout everything that you've done is this focus on helping others, motivating others. What was the genesis of that? What kind of led you uh, in that direction?
0: Uh, to be honest, I think I just grew up that way with my mom, and uh, my mom was a single mom with four sons and uh but still, she would do a lot of charitable work. I remember she would uh, drive elderly people around, even though she was so busy and so overwhelmed uh She was a school teacher, but she just really drilled it into us uh that it was a good thing to to help people and especially people from other countries, yeah.
1: Yeah. So it was really this modeling, this idea of, of really putting others before self that, that really, at a young age, really started you down that path.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, when I did this um, Geshe course so Princeton, uh, I joined a uh, special school of Princeton called uh, Woodrow Wilson School. And it's a diplomat school and they would send people overseas. And I, I was sent uh, to the Himalayas. And then I got to know this uh, ancient institution there. It's called Sereme uh, Monastery, and it's a Tibetan monastery that was founded in the 1400s. And that's where they have this 25-year course. And they they really also drill it into you that uh, if you would like success, even just business success in your life, that uh, helping other people to have that kind of success uh, would would do that. And then, um, after I graduated, they challenged me to go to Manhattan and, and prove those principles in real life. And that's when we started the diamond jewelry company. Yeah.
1: Well, in in some ways, right. You'd say that's the real world test, right. Going dropping into Manhattan in that business environment. Um, and, and, and I, I guess just applying those philosophies into just the day to day rigor of building and running a business. That had to be fascinating.
0: Yeah, it was sort of a laboratory. And part of the deal was I was not encouraged to tell people what I was doing, you know. I was just encouraged Mm to uh, start a business and then try to use these principles. Uh, There are basically four principles involved. It's a four-step process. Uh, Number one, you clarify to yourself your business goal. Like, let's say I would like to... Increase the income of my company by 25% next year, or something like that. And then the second step is to identify another business person, and perhaps even in your own industry uh, that you would like to help uh, achieve the same goal. The third step is to spend an hour every week uh, for free and just offer to help them uh, mm-hmm. reach their goals. And then finally, there's a there's a very amazing uh, meditation where you, uh, when you're going to bed and you put your head on the pillow, then you think about, uh, you spend that time, rather than worrying about your business, you spend that time thinking of new ways to help this other person and just being happy that you are trying to um, increase your own business by helping someone else to increase their business. And then uh, with the thing with China is to take it on an international level.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now you've obviously spent quite a bit of time studying, immersed yourself, really understanding Chinese culture. And there are so many opinions out there, Michael, about China, right? Perceptions or misperceptions. What do you think are some of the biggest misperceptions here in Western culture about China?
0: I think, um, you know, Dan, I have to say, um, I I remember going to my dentist and, uh, you know, he always asked me, where are you going to go next, you know, because I travel so much. And I said, well, I'm going to China. And he says, oh, be careful. You know, those are sneaky, tough people and it's going to be difficult for you. And I have to say, uh, if you really travel to China and if you really work with Chinese people, they are extremely friendly and extremely uh, helpful and extremely concerned about you know, how are you feeling? How's your work going? How can we help you? And I just had this completely opposite experience from what you see, for example, in the press.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And when you boil it down again, it, it sounds like it comes down to the, just the the interactions and the personal relationships that you build and the trust that you build. And when you humanize that, as opposed to um, just kind of getting the third party, uh, opinions um or perceptions I mean but when you take it down at a personal level it you get a whole different viewpoint on it
0: yeah and i think also i think you know as an american i grew up uh you know 100% american high school and and college and i grew up in arizona in a in a normal high school and and we just uh have this competitive kind of nature and we also we are strongly from a Judeo-Christian background, the whole European culture, the whole American culture, uh, South American culture. It all comes from a certain um, philosophical viewpoint uh, that's 2,000 years old. And I think uh, what happens when you go to China is that they were never exposed to those principles or those ideals there they grew up with 5,000 years of a completely different uh, way of looking at things. So I think it's like when you go to your neighbor's house. I I have a neighbor that I never met until the COVID, and he's a Marine uh, colonel and and a Christian Baptist minister. And then, you know, uh, we got to know each other during the COVID, and we spent time with each other. And I think when you you spend time uh, together with people, from any country, uh, you find out that uh, you have big differences in your background. And you also find out that there are human needs and human values that we all share. And I think if you latch onto those, then I don't know. China is a huge market. It's 1.4 billion people. There's a joke that if you sneeze in China, 10,000 people will come. And uh, I think, we have to especially if you're in business, it makes so much sense to try to uh, get to know Chinese people, spend time at dinner with them, uh, and then you know make a relationship and try to understand the differences uh, of our cultures and appreciate them and, and to I guess as americans, maybe as Americans, we tend to think that our system is the best and and that everyone should follow our system and I think uh as you as you travel to more and more countries and you and you the diamond industry for example is international so you kind of have to get used to the many many different cultures to deal uh, in the diamond jewelry business so i think uh, just to get to know the other culture spend time uh, personally with each other and then uh, you can have great success and i think if we don't do that then these tensions between asia and america could could cause major problems in the world.
1: Definitely. Well, before we we dive a bit more into to mindset and, and U.S. China, I I wanted to jump back, piggyback off of something you just said a, a moment ago. Your experience in the diamond uh, industry being so um, global, and really uh, to be successful, you've got to go out and obviously build relationships um, across the globe. And I'm wondering, was was that a challenge for you to basically uh, because um, different um, Expectations, different styles of communication. When you're dealing with so many different countries, uh, different continents, uh, how did you find that having to kind of jump around, so to speak, in terms of being successful to interact with so so many different kinds of mindsets and doing business?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I'm I'm of Irish German background. Uh, the diamond business in New York is exclusively Jewish and Hasidic, uh, very conservative Jewish. And then the major areas where you buy uh, diamonds from are obviously Africa, but also Russia is a huge supplier. Australia is a huge supplier. Uh, some of the greatest diamonds come from India and Brazil uh, because uh, those two land masses used to be connected to Africa. So the diamond pipes are in Africa, but the diamonds came out millions of years ago into rivers, and then the continents broke apart. So there are huge deposits of diamonds in Brazil and also in India, and and some of the greatest diamonds are there because uh, they survived the trip. So uh, you know, really you have to and the cutting centers, uh traditional cutting centers are Israel, uh, Antwerp, Hong Kong. And so I think you really have to get to know you have to learn to to get to know people and deal with different countries and different cultures. So I think it was a it was a great training for me. And I I just think the the main thing is to try to listen and try to appreciate other people's Cultures and they are different, and they are not—they're um, not brought up necessarily on American values. But I think if you try to learn their values, uh, you can really expand your 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 knowledge. You know, like there are wonderful values uh, in different countries. For example, China has five thousand years of of great books, and and to study those and to immerse yourself in those, they're They're fascinating and they're very helpful.
1: I think the phrase that came into my mind as you were talking there was seek to understand. So if we we have the patience and we take the time to seek to understand as we're we're reaching out, we're building those relationships. Now, in your latest book, you advocate for a cooperative versus a competitive approach when it comes to U.S.-China relations. Can you share a little bit more about that?
0: Well, uh, just looking at what's happening this month or last month, uh, there's a big emphasis, I think, in Washington on uh, Chinese tech and the approach of, of our country. And by the way, I mean, let's say honestly, both countries, uh, the the governments of both countries um, can sometimes make huge mistakes and, and huge kind of abrasive um, comments and actions, both China and the united states we we 're both uh, probably equal <laughs> in the uh, cultural mistakes we make uh, between each other. but generally, if you look at um, the emphasis of American policy towards China right now it 's can we block uh, their technology? Can we make sure they don 't learn things from us and mm-hmm. And I, I, as a business person, uh, and my diamond jewelry company was very innovative. And we didn't spread our secrets around. You know, we used them for a long time. And we spent a lot of money and worked hard to develop uh, very special methods and of uh, production, for example. So I think, but but the idea, the mindset, that if I block my competition, I can Get an advantage over my competition. I think it's. I don't think it's as cre- as creative, and I don't. And I can definitely say it's not as profitable as reaching out uh, to your competition, getting to know them personally, and actually helping each other. And then uh, the the market expands, uh, sales expand for both parties, and both parties make more money. And it's a lot less stress on your on your psychological being you know you just it's a lot more fun uh to sit down and and eat a chinese dinner with in beijing and and decide, think about ways we can work together uh and and it's just more creative for everyone and i think uh it's less stressful
1: yeah it does take a, a kind of a whole different viewpoint though i think you're right the tr- even just domestically within the US and really hyper competitive industries there's this protect our secrets protect our intellectual property and and there's it's definitely valid you know to be thinking about that and and with a lot of the um, visibility around threats from a cybersecurity perspective just mm-hmm. increase focus around those assets it's but there are also markets that tend to have a history of having more open uh, relationships, um, kind of mutual co is a term I've heard, Michael. I, I like that. that. Co-opetition. Um, and so it, it kind of varies, but I, what you're describing definitely, I think, is is something that requires um, t- kind of stepping back and, and looking at it from a fresh perspective.
0: Yeah, I think just little things like uh, learning Chinese people's names, you know, or how to pronounce their names, the president of the country Uh, When they, I don't know, when they had their most recent revolution in in the 1949, 1950, they tried to choose English letters uh, to make the sounds in Chinese. And for S-H, they chose X. And uh, so here you have a foreign leader uh, whose name starts with an X. And the only, I think the only English word is Xerox. And uh, so we tend to... It, we don't even learn how to say their names properly. And every Chinese, you know, something funny, Dan, is there's more English speakers in China than there are outside of China total. Uh, so all Chinese students uh, in school, yeah. they learn to speak English, and they even take a, a, an English name. So all of your Chinese friends are going to have a, okay. an English name that they chose in, in high school. And I think just to learn people's uh, real names, to learn how to pronounce uh, words, those are things we cover in the book. If, as a business person, if you can take 10 minutes and just learn how to pronounce things uh, properly, it's it's so appreciated in any country, right? In, in, right. Uh, and then, I, I you know, we have industrial secrets in, in my companies, and we don't share them with everybody, but there's lots of Room for uh, cooperation on things with people from other countries, and I think uh, maybe we have to change our viewpoint that there's kind of a a way of reaching out to your competition. And you know, I, I have this policy that I will call uh, the president of another company and go out to dinner with them, and oftentimes we find ways that we can work together and and make more business, and that's why our business went from zero to a quarter million dollars uh, in a short time is, is I think this strategy of getting to know the competition and trying Mm -hmm. to find places where you can work together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And curious, obviously the last two plus years, Michael, we're all dealing with the disruption of the global pandemic. It's changed the fabric of our lives, certainly changed the way we work. Uh, the way we work together, use of technology, all of that. How do you see the impact of the pandemic at all in terms of this approach to building uh, relationships, especially then at the US-China level? What are are some of the dynamics you've seen there?
0: Yeah, we sold our company in 2009 to Warren Buffett. And then, um, you know, uh, Doubleday asked me to write a book about our strategies that that made us successful. And I wrote this book uh, called The Diamond Cutter. And that became a a huge bestseller. Then people started inviting me uh, to come to business conferences. And now, I don't know, we have 148,000 people attend our talks uh, every year in 35 countries. And when the pandemic happened, uh, our business uh, was predicated on two, activities. Number one was going to foreign countries, giving um, business yeah. seminars. And secondly, large groups of people in a in a building. We'd have up to 5,000 people uh, at a seminar. And then suddenly, the two uh, things that we do the most are not possible. And I, I have to admit that for six months, I think, we weren't sure we could survive as a company. And then we were forced uh, to go online and to use uh, the different methods of, of of doing business online with people, and our business has tripled uh, since then. so I think uh, I think if we embrace uh, this kind of culture, uh, this online culture, we can embrace. I still believe Dan I don't know, maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I think I still try very hard to travel. Uh, I was in Peru, Vietnam, India. Mm-hmm. Japan uh, this spring, and I think uh, just to meet people face to face is is really really good. I think the online format of doing as much business as you can online, it's very efficient economically, and for time. But I do uh, sprinkle in not as much as before, but I I think face to face meetings. Uh, I do a lot of my business over dinners, you know. <laughs> And uh-huh. I think that's a good strategy especially when you're dealing with China for example.
1: Yes, food plays an important role in <laughs> uh, as part of developing those relationships. And so let's talk about leadership. You you've led uh organizations, you led people and teams. What's your viewpoint on the essence of exceptional leadership and and where do you see this servant leader mindset coming in?
0: Yeah, I uh you know, the diamond business, we started with three people. Uh, when we sold the company, it was 10,000 people. And, uh, and may, I, I hired um, most of the management uh, personally. And I have this theory of leadership that uh, there's an ancient Chinese teaching, actually, called uh, exchanging yourself with others. And it's a fun exercise that a business leader can do. Where you choose uh, one of your management people, for example, and from morning up to evening, you pretend you are them and you uh, try to put yourself, you try to put your mind in their body. Yes. And then you look back at yourself uh, from their eyes. So you kind of put yourself in their shoes. And this, I think, is a great uh, leadership. Uh, strategy that I've followed my whole life is to try to put myself, yeah, I'll even specify like from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m., I will try to put myself in the shoes of someone uh, someone who's working for me uh, when we're having a meeting or something, and I'll try to look at myself from their point of view. And I think as a leader, uh, this ancient exercise it was developed uh, thirteen hundred years ago, thirteen centuries ago uh, in Asian leadership theory and uh, i 've always found that to be a really, really great strategy and i and what it boils down to is uh, giving opportunities to the people who work for you with the same kind of attention and effort that you would put into developing opportunities for yourself. And I think that's a great strategy.
1: You know, it's really about setting that ego aside, isn't it? it it's it's really this unselfish um, look at yourself objectively uh, through that lens of someone else. But it requires you to kind of, you, you have to remove yourself as being what um, the universe revolves around and is saying, hey, it's really about looking at it from the perspective of others i it, again it hand in hand with a lot of what we talk about on this podcast and in the book
0: yeah there's a there's an ancient uh, joke about the in that in that same period about about 13 centuries ago and and the the, the foot uh steps on a thorn and uh, a thorn goes into the foot and then uh the, the toes are not able to pull the Thorn out, so the foot asks the hand, uh, yes. "You've got such nimble fingers, you know. Could you just bend down and pull that thorn out of our foot, you know?" And uh, then the hand says, "Well, well, you're you're the foot, and I'm the hand. So why should I even bother, you know?" Uh, but in in a company, uh, it's one body, right? So yes. uh, the fingers are like the management, and the foot is like your, you know, the people working for you. And if you don't take care of if the hand doesn't take care of the foot, then the the whole body suffers. That's the idea. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What what a great um example, very vivid example of that. Now, I know um you go out, you travel a lot, you speak, you motivate, you give lots of advice. I want to flip the script on this, Michael. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received?
0: Uh so I, I actually lived with my uh, teacher from West China. Uh, I, when I was doing my studies, my 25 years of studies, uh, I lived in the same house with a very, very great uh, teacher, a very highly trained uh, teacher from West China. And um, when I was going to start giving my own lectures and my own talks in public, uh, I the first time I got up, I froze completely, and I actually couldn't say a single word. And it was a terribly embarrassing five minutes uh, standing there, you know, with my mouth moving and I couldn't say anything. And then he he I, he said, "You can sit down." And uh, he got up and covered for me. But but then I asked him afterwards. I said, uh, "What advice for you do you have for me?" that i could speak uh, the way you speak to thousands of people you know because i get so nervous and flustered and he said your problem is that you're thinking about yourself and uh, you're thinking about how the audience will will think about you whether they'll think you're good or not and he said next time you speak uh before you get out on the stage when you're standing behind the curtain uh Get this, you know, try to give a pep talk to yourself that I'm not out there uh, to make myself look good. I'm out there to help people and serve people. So try to think of what they need and what they want. And then uh, with that motivation, step out on the stage. And then uh, that's always really, really helped me. And I think for any business leader or any, even if you just have a small company, when you speak to your people, if you give yourself a little pep talk before and you say, look, it's not about how I look. It's, it's about how much I can help these people. And, and then you step out and uh, that's always helped me a lot.
1: I love that. It's, it's focusing on the purpose and the outcome, not on the process necessarily (laughs) and focus on yourself as the presenter. I love that. So when you think about the future, we've got so much going on. There'd be reasons, Concerns about the economy, what's going on in terms of armed conflict, what you you name it in the world today, a lot of craziness out there. But when you look to the future, Michael, what makes you optimistic?
0: Well, you know, uh, I'm I'll be 70 years old next month, and uh, I've I've seen a lot in my lifetime. Uh, I I grew up in the Vietnam War, and then I've seen all the problems with the uh, Arab countries and. Uh, e- even when I was very young, um, my parents, some of my parents' friends would refuse to buy a Japanese car or a German car. And and it. I've seen uh, the cycles. There's a joke in the ancient uh, Chinese literature. They say um, they believe that there's, I don't know, 13 levels of heaven over our head. And there are beings who live uh, thousands of years. And there's a joke that um the the people of the earth uh and this comes from a book which is uh, 1800 years old and they say every every couple thousand years uh people will set off a nuclear holocaust and it will ruin the planet and then uh things are bad for a couple thousand years and then things come back and there's a joke that these uh you know the Chinese call them the immortals. They're they're watching the uh-huh. planet, and the older immortals tell the the younger immortals run to the older immortals and say, "Oh, they're they're blowing up the planet." And the older immortals say, "Oh, they do that every few thousand years. Don't don't get too excited about it." And so, I, in a way, I've seen uh, so many cycles of conflict, and I've seen so many cycles of economic up. Up, upswing and downturns. Uh, I'm very, very uh, optimistic that we can evolve. Human beings are getting better. You know, we haven't had a world war for fifty years or so, and uh, I, I do believe that people are understanding each other better. I mean, perhaps it's the internet, but you know, most normal people, even in Africa, for example, they they can see. Video of what's happening in other countries, and, and I think uh, there's going to be more empathy between people from different countries, so I think that empathy is going to translate to steady economic growth. There's less poor people now by percentage than, than ever in history. and so I think there are positive things happening, and these these tensions and conflicts, they go up and down and as human nature dictates and but I think uh, in the end, uh, empathy will will win out, and I, and I think we're headed for uh you know a much broader prosperity uh, if we can just learn to appreciate other other countries and other people.-,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, reasons to feel optimistic. Uh, thanks for sharing that. And as we start wrapping up the conversation, do you have any other final advice for business leaders that are looking to optimize their growth when they think about the Chinese market? Uh, how they can really leverage a better understanding of China in terms of making their business more successful?
0: Uh, that's a great question. By the way, thank you for doing this interview. And it, it really sounds like you have a sensitive viewpoint on everything. I, I think uh, what I would, I was on an airplane to Beijing, uh, not that, you know, before the pandemic. And there was a woman sitting next to me. And uh, she turned to me and she said, uh, Is it safe? In Beijing, you know, am I going to be safe uh, in in Beijing? Uh, do you have any advice? Should I stay in my hotel? And I I laughed at her and I said, listen, uh, Beijing is probably the safest city you've ever been in. Uh, she was flying from the we were flying from New York. I said, uh, you know, it's just a very very uh, safe place, and you're going to find out that the people are very kind. So I I think. Uh, Next time, if you're a business leader, next time you have a chance uh, to take a vacation. Uh, What I do with my wife and I, uh, we're headed for Japan next month uh, to check out business opportunities there. And I think uh, take a vacation in the country uh, that you're thinking of working with and just go there and and try to eat some of the people's food there get to know them learn their names learn five words of their language learn thank you learn yeah. please and you're going to find out that you can easily do business in China and you can we make huge profits in China so i think it's great
1: yeah there's so much more to experience than just touring the conference rooms of the <laughs> world right yeah. get out and experience the, the experience what that local culture is by carving that time into your schedule
0: yeah. And I, you know, we found out there's a, we were going to Kyoto for business and first we checked out all the beaches nearby and, uh, you know, take a vacation over there. I uh, get to know people. And I think uh, this kind of um, enlightened business leader vacations is going to create a lot of harmony and uh, business profit uh, between different countries.
1: Well, Michael, thanks again for joining, sharing your perspective on U.S. and China relationships and your perspectives on leadership. Uh, Really, really sound advice. appreciate you coming on.
0: Yeah, and thank you for having me. And it's a real pleasure.
1: And a reminder to all of you to please continue to give us the gift of feedback. You can rate and review the podcast very easily out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.